Good morning, church family. Those are some of the faces of our amazing young adults here at First Norfolk, and we wanted them to speak to you for just a moment and to share their heart about why we need to be reaching the military of Hampton Roads. And so today, the message that I'm going to be bringing is out of Acts chapter 27. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And so what we're going to talk about today, the title of this message is When God Deploys the Church. Now, there are two basic ways that I want to suggest today that we can look at Acts chapter 27, actually chapter 28 as well. The first one would be the way we normally look at it as Christians is we see it as uh, the journeys of the Apostle Paul and how God was using him and his missionary companions to fulfill the Great Commission and the purpose of God. And even though this is not one of those Uh, three journeys that were recorded earlier in the book of Acts, yet this is still a missionary journey, if you will, because God is still doing missionary kinds of things with the Apostle Paul. He is writing what became for us the New Testament epistles. He is ministering. He is preaching. He is doing jail ministry. He's doing mission trips. Um, like on the island of Malta. And so he's still doing missionary kinds of things. So we might look at this section of Scripture and say, well, we would call this a mission journey. And our church does all kinds of mission journeys. And the reason we do it is for the same reason that the early missionaries did it, because Jesus left us with a great commission and told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He said, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And so we believe as evangelical believers that God has uh, called us to himself, placed us in his family, and commissioned us to be on mission, and that he sends us uh, different places through our work, through our um, places that we live, through our jobs, and through military service to accomplish the great commission of Jesus. And so traditionally, when we go to Acts chapter 27 and chapter 28, that's kind of how we read this text of Scripture, this narrative story. And that's the lens through which we look as we reflect upon that. But I want to suggest a second way that we can look at this text today that applies to our Vision and Valor Military Day. And although I'm going to be making application to those of you who are military or have served in the military and your families, I also will be making application to all of us because God's Word applies to all of us. Um, So the second way that you can look at this text is that it was a deployment of the Roman military. Indeed, it was a deployment, and we see that this deployment lasted about six to eight months, which is a typical Navy deployment. We see that it was dangerous and that it was difficult, and oftentimes deployments are. We see that there is a diversity of people on the deployment. Luke records in this narrative 276 people. That involved prisoners. That involved missionaries. That involved sailors. Those are merchant marines people that did that work as a living. It involved uh, perhaps merchants and then other passengers that were just paying to go somewhere that the ship was going to be stopping. This deployment, we're going to look at this story as a deployment, and this deployment has four stages. Three of those are in Acts chapter 27, 
going to just reference some of the passages. We're going to kind of look at some of the phrases as we go through and then read a certain portion of the text. The first um, stage of this deployment was found in verses 1 through 5. We see that uh, Festus, the governor and King Agrippa, um, you go back to Acts chapter 26, you see that they made a decision based on Paul's appeal to stand before Caesar, Caesar, and this was God's will for him as well. We'll see that this was part of the purpose for this journey. Um, Because of that, they decided to send him to Rome, and they had other prisoners to deliver, and so they detached a centurion, a hundred troops, and this became a deployment. They left from Caesarea, and it says in verse 1, it was decided, that is by the officials, that we, Luke is recording himself in this journey because he is with Paul, would sail for Italy. They proceeded to deliver Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion, of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And this man is going to prove to be a very um, good man and a man of character and principle. <clears throat> and they embarked upon a ship, um, a- Adriamidian ship, which was home ported in what today is northwest uh, Turkey. And this was obviously not a ship that was going to Italy, it was going back to its home port. But the centurion had to get a ship to take them a certain portion of the trip. And then they were going to board another ship. And then in Acts 28, they board a third ship. So this deployment of the Roman military was uh, for six to eight months. And it involved travel on three ships and then some travel on land. We see from the first five verses that they put out in Caesarea. They made a port visit in Sidon, and Paul actually was allowed by Julius to go and visit friends. That most likely was uh, fellow believers there in that city, which was about 70 miles north of Caesarea. They encouraged the Apostle Paul, just like before somebody deploys in our church, we try to encourage them, we try to strengthen them, we try to build them up. They probably gave... Uh, The Apostle Paul supplies maybe food for the journey. That's kind of like a care package um, because in those days, sometimes passengers had to provide their own um, supplies and food. And Julius allowed allowed Paul to visit his friends, uh, according to verse 3. They sailed um, uh, under the shelter of Cyprus, um, and they came to Myra in Lycia, verse 5. And there they left the ship. This was the first leg of the journey. They left the ship and they boarded another ship, the ship uh, uh, from Alexandria, Egypt. And this was a grain cargo ship and it was going to Rome to deliver uh, wheat. And so Julius uh, arranged with the owner of the ship to uh, board his soldiers and prisoners, which included the Apostle Paul, and they put us aboard and they began to sail. Now, two of the things that we see in the text here is that it was difficult. This was the time of the year. It was late fall. Most of the time traveling those in those days on the Mediterranean Sea did not occur after November until February because of the nature of the weather. And so this was late in the fall, so it was a very dangerous time to sail. 
And Luke records that in verse 7 that they were sailing, they were delayed many days, a good many days, and it was with difficulty. He mentions again in verse 8, it was with difficulty that we were sailing. Uh, And they got blown off course, and they ended up on the south side of Crete in a place, a port called Fair Havens. And they stayed there for a while. And then Luke says in verse 9 that it was very dangerous. We know that many times when military deploy that it's difficult. It is dangerous. We think about the Ukraine today and what is happening there. We see the devastation of that war. We know that war is oftentimes very devastating and deployments can be um, very, very difficult. And so this deployment of Roman troops was going to be a very difficult but successful deployment with no loss of life incurred. Now we see in God's providence, what God did is he planted three missionaries on this deployment. Uh, We have Paul the apostle, and we have Luke the physician, who was one of Paul's companions. And then we have... um, Aristarchus, who was from Thessalonica, that is verse 2. And we know that probably he became a convert on the second missionary journey, and then he became a traveling companion of Paul. Paul calls him that in the scripture. And we also see him in Rome after the deployment because he is one of Paul's companions. So God, in his providence, placed three Christians, three missionary followers of Jesus, with a Roman deployment in order to accomplish his purpose. Now, I want to suggest to you today a central truth of the message is that God is at work among the military. This is one of the things we see in this text is that God planned to put these missionaries with these deployed troops in order to fulfill his purpose in conjunction with military service. There are some similarities to this deployment as deployments today. One, um, many times today when someone that is a Christian deploys, they are oftentimes in the minority. Many of the people, the uh, Navy and the other branches of the service are very diverse and made up of people from all kinds of places. Just like this ship was made up of soldiers and uh, passengers were soldiers, prisoners, merchants, uh, crew, people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of places. And there were only three Christians on this deployment. Sometimes deployments can be difficult. Part of that difficulty is loneliness and a sense of isolation because of living in close quarters with those who do not share your values and your faith commitment to Jesus Christ. In other places of Scripture, Paul, for example, says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. One of the things that Paul assumed, he also had knowledge of this because of his own experience being around soldiers and seeing soldiers, he knew that being a soldier, serving in the military, the Roman military, was a very difficult calling. 
And he reminded Christians that the difficulty of serving Christ and doing missions and being sent out by Christ to fulfill the purpose for our lives, which part of that is to be his witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and to make disciples of all the nations, that that means that we sometimes have to suffer hardship just like a good soldier accepts the fact that the calling into the military is a life of difficulty, danger, and hardship. We know, we was mentioned on the video, that suicide is a major problem with the military. At one point, I don't know what the stats are today, there were as many as 22 suicides every day in the active duty service and among our veterans. Almost twice as prevalent as in our civilian population. Military service is not easy, nor is missions service like these missionaries were doing from their perspective and our perspective. But God places believers today in the military and just like those soldiers, the hundred soldiers under the centurion Julius had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Believers today who are Christians are called into the military and part of your purpose, if you're serving in the military and you call yourself a believer in Jesus and you've accepted Christ as your savior, then part of your purpose for serving in the military is to live out what God is doing among the military just in the same way as we see what happened here in Acts chapter 27. We see that God takes care of his missionaries, but he does not prevent us from going through the normal storms that other people go through just because we're Christians. We see in verse 4 that the winds were contrary. We see that it was dangerous. We see that it was difficult. They board this Alexandrian ship, and it's getting later in the fall, and uh, some of the leaders, the, the pilot of the ship and the owner of the ship, uh, verse um, <clears throat> 10 and 11, verse 11, and Paul and perhaps, and the centurion and perhaps some others got together and had a meeting about whether they should winter there in fair havens or whether they should proceed on to another port, uh, which was only 40 miles away. And um, they could normally make that in several hours. And it was a much better port in which to winter. And Paul warned them. He said, uh, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our own lives. But he was overruled and the centurion being the officer in charge, this was primarily probably a ship that was leased by the Roman government to carry grain to Rome, to Italy. Uh, the centurion made the decision that they were going to sail on to Phoenix. And so the weather got good, verse 13, and they began, they lifted anchor and they began to sail close to the coast of Crete. Now a storm, a violent storm comes upon them. Uh, beginning in verse 14, it says... Before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uraquilo. The NASB has, NIV has a wind of hurricane force called the North 
Easter. The New Living Translation has a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster. This was a very violent storm. The nature of this storm was horrendous. And we know as human beings and as Christians that storms are a part of life. Jesus said, John 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. Uh, this storm, it says, uh, verse 15, the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind. We gave way to it and we let ourselves be driven along. This storm was overpowering. Sometimes life in the military can be overpowering. These uh, crew members gave way to it. They were powerless to control the storm. They were rendered helpless. They took certain measures we'll read about here in the text. It says, um, uh, verse 16, running under the shelter of a small island, they got a little bit of a reprieve or break called Clauda or either Cauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. They were trying to save the lifeboat that they were towing behind the ship. And they were able to eventually haul that in. Uh, verse 17, they hoisted it up. They used supporting cables. They undergirded the hull of the ship with cables to try to uh, safeguard it against the destruction of the waves. Uh, fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtus. That was off the north uh, African coast, a very dangerous waters, graveyard of ships. They didn't know where they were. They were afraid they were going to drift that far uh, south. They let down the sea anchor, and in this way, they let it uh, let themselves be driven along. But they put down the anchor to try to um, slow down the drifting because the storm rendered them helpless. Verse eighteen. The next day, as we were being violently storm tossed. They began to jettison the cargo. They began to throw away everything that they could do without. The third day, verse 19, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Uh, verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, they lost their ability to navigate because in those days, that's how ships uh, knew where they were is through navigation with the sun and the stars. So they were lost and confused. They were helpless. And it says, uh, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no snow, small storm was assailing us from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. They gave up hope. They were exhausted. They were depressed. Uh, the, the text here says they did not eat for two weeks. Sometimes when people go through depression, one of the symptoms of depression is loss of appetite. It said that they were going without sleep. Verse 33 says they were constantly watching. At one point it says they were up at midnight. So this was a horrendous experience. A great storm in their life. And all of us can relate to storms in our life. Storm are part of life. Storms are part of military life. Storms are part of war. Storms are part of deployment. And this certainly was the case here of this Roman military deployment. But storms also provide an opportunity for God to work. One of the things that we see in the New Testament, for example, in uh, the book of Acts chapter 16, is that Paul and Silas went through a great storm and they were beaten and, and falsely accused and thrown into jail and their hands and their feet were placed in stocks 
And it says about midnight, they were singing hymns of praise. And the prisoners were listening. Because it is in the midst of storms that God has an opportunity to work His purpose. And in Acts chapter 16, we know what happened is that as they were singing hymns of praise and praying that God provided an earthquake. And we know through that story that God fulfilled the purpose of bringing the Philippian jailer to, and his family to faith in Jesus through that storm. God allows storms in our lives to accomplish his purpose. God allowed this storm here to accomplish his purpose in conjunction with military service. Sometimes I talk to people in the military and they don't like their job. Um, their situation may be toxic, um, their particular environment. They're doing things they don't want to do. They don't have a choice about the matter. And they wonder what God is doing. Well, let me tell you what God is doing. God is fulfilling his purpose in your life. And if you will open your eyes and look for God around you, you will see that God is working through your difficulty, your danger of the storms that you are encountering. God uses storms in different ways in our lives. One of the ways that he uses storms in our life is he uses it to reveal our need for God. We've all heard this saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. Military lifestyle often opens people's hearts to the gospel because of what they go through. Storms make us open to God. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers on the mountaintop. He screams in the valley. I heard a sermon by Adrian Rogers many years ago. And in that sermon, I've never forgotten what he said. He said, have you ever been disillusioned? Be thankful that you've been disillusioned. Because if you've been disillusioned, that means that you had an illusion. And you've God has got to separate you from your illusion. Because God is a God of truth. And illusion does not work. When we go through the storms of life and when we are pressed to the end of ourselves and to the end of our rope, God reveals to us our need for Him. Because this storm left them completely hopeless and helpless. God reveals that His grace can carry us through the storm. Sometimes we do, do not know that until we go through the storm. The truth of the matter is, we have to be tested by God and by the storms of life in order to know that God's grace is sufficient. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, talks about an experience. He doesn't tell us what that experience is, but he says that he went through some experience so devastating that he despaired even of life itself, and he thought that he was going to die. And he said, but God, who raises the dead, delivered us from so great a peril, and he did it then, and he will do it again. But you see, we do not know that God does that until we go through the storms. For those who serve in the military who go through hardship, be thankful for the hardship, because it's through the hardship that, number one, you will know your need for God, and number two, you will realize that God's grace 
is enough to carry you. God reveals who he is through the power of the storm. I think about another illustration uh, of another storm where Jesus is asleep in the boat and a storm comes upon he and his disciples. And in the midst of that storm, they wake Jesus up and they say, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. And then he stands and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves and it becomes calm. And the disciples say, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, it is in the storms of life that God reveals himself. Dr. Tommy Lee was a great professor at Southwestern. Uh, Eric, do you have ever Dr. Lee? Dr. Lee was a wonderful professor. I, I loved him. I had him for um, one of my Greek classes, and he died of cancer several years after that. And he was a wonderful man. And I remember he, he did an interview before he died, and um, they asked him in that interview, um, Dr. Lee, what, what has been your, you know, they asked him all about his condition and he said, I hope I get healed and I don't know if I will. It may be through death, but I'm, I'm hoping and praying I get healed. I don't want to leave my wife and family. So he's very human and very honest, but he said, you know, I, I may not be healed. And then they asked him, what do you think about cancer? What is your evaluation of cancer? He said something very insightful. He said, cancer has been a wonderful opportunity to know God. Now, most of the time, we do not use the word wonderful and cancer in the same sentence. But Dr. Lee said, cancer has been a wonderful opportunity to know God. And I take it that he meant by that, that he had gotten to know God through difficulty and through suffering in ways that he had never gotten to know God before. The storms of life... Help us listen to God. Now, notice in verse 21 here, it says, When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst, and he said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice, and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and this loss. Yet, yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. That was God's purpose. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Storms get us to the position where we're willing to hear from God. One of the things you'll notice about this text here is that Paul had this vision of this angel, but it wasn't until they got into the storm, a good way into the storm, before the angel spoke this vision to him. You see, God sometimes waits until we get desperate because that's when we're willing to hear from him. And then in the darkness, in the powerlessness, in the devastation of human storms, God will speak his powerful word. And God said, um, uh, God has granted you, this angel said, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. And Paul later said, not one hair from your head will perish. Storms also provide an opportunity for testimony. 
Now, Paul was told by the angel, you must stand before Caesar. God's purpose for Paul was that he would testify about his relationship with Jesus and he would evangelize before the emperor of Rome, Caesar. In Acts 23, verse 11, Jesus appeared uh, before Paul and he said, as you have witnessed about me at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does it say? Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses uh, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Paul gave his testimony in front of this crew of 275 plus himself. Notice he encouraged them, verse 22, 33, uh, 25 and 33. He encouraged them. He says, uh, keep up your courage. Verse 25, keep up your courage. Um, he encouraged them. He said, do not be afraid, verse 24. He says, God has spoken to me. I belong to God. That's a Christian. You belong to God if you're a Christian. He said, I serve God. You serve God if you're a Christian. Paul gave his testimony to these sailors. He cared for them. He prayed. Notice in verse 35 it says, Having said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and he began to eat. Notice this, that Paul gave thanks to God in the midst of the storm. Oftentimes, when we go through storms, we lose our perspective. We get lost. We get confused. And they certainly were. But God wants us as Christians to be able to look at our storms through the lens of His purpose. Paul gave his testimony to the crew, and the crew listened. He said in verse 35, having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged and they themselves also took food. Now this storm lasted at least two weeks. But God was using this storm for his purpose. And part of his purpose was for Paul to be able to give his testimony to the military. Because Paul obviously didn't serve in the military, but the only way if God wanted the military to have a witness was to put some of his missionaries with and under the military, in this case as prisoners, and he also put them on a deployment. We see from this same um, section of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 21 through 28 that Paul is with five different groups of soldiers. He's with soldiers in Jerusalem, which was the home of a large army garrison. And he's there in the barracks with them. Now, let me ask you, church, what do you think Paul is doing in the barracks? I'll tell you what he's doing. He is making Christ known. Then he goes on his first deployment. He is obviously the purpose for the deployment, but they walk for 40 miles in the middle of the night from Jerusalem to Antipatris and then Caesarea. And he is there, and John MacArthur says that, um, that, that uh, Claudius Lysias, the commander there in, in the garrison at uh, Jerusalem, sends over uh, almost one half of the soldiers of Jerusalem to deliver this one prisoner. And what do you think Paul is doing when those men are walking 40 miles in the middle of the night? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's making Christ known. 
Then he gets to Caesarea. He's there, and Caesarea is the home of a large army garrison. He's there for two years, living in, um, in the um, Herod's Praetorium. And there, it's John Stott says that Paul has some of his most um, strategic opportunities to share the gospel. He preaches before governors. He preaches before the king. He preaches before military commanders. He shares his testimony with leaders of the city because God's purpose is that we testify about the gospel of Jesus. Then he comes here in Acts chapter 27. He's on three ships. Uh, with these deployed troops. Then they do some land travel. Then he comes to Rome. He's in Rome for two years in the center of the Praetorian Guard. And he writes from there, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13. He says, brothers, I want you to know that my circumstances, he's talking about this time period when he's with and under the military. My circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel because the entire Praetorian Guard, special forces of Roman military, have heard about the cause of Christ. Well, we see what happens here at the end of the storm. It says, uh, verse 37, all of us in the ship were 267 persons. And they ate their fill of grain, and they threw the rest of the wheat into the sea, verse 38. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders, hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to break up, uh, be broken by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners because the soldiers knew that if the prisoners escaped, that they were going to be executed. And so that um, none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. God accomplished his purpose in the storm. God accomplished his purpose in conjunction with a military deployment because God was at work in the midst of the Roman military. Guess what, church? God is at work in the midst of the U.S. military. And God has called some of you that are here today to serve in the military. Maybe you didn't realize it when you got in, but God's purpose for you is not only to serve our nation and the purpose of the military of our nation and protect us and our freedoms, but God also has called you into the military to bear witness of Christ. To fulfill the Great Commission. To love your military neighbors as you love yourself. To equip the military saints to do the work of military ministry. To be witnesses for Christ in wherever you are sent, wherever you live, in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Our military is uh, obviously one of the great militaries of the world. 
the greatest military in the world. And we have people that serve in our military. And Hampton Roads, as was mentioned earlier, is the second largest percentage of military in any geographical region in the United States. Over half of our military, our enlisted, are uh, under the age of 25. And church, you know that we must reach Generation Z, the millennials and Generation Z with the gospel. Let me tell you something. Reaching the military for Christ is a great way to reach Generation Z. Did you know that 10% of our military are born actually in other countries and become citizens of the United States through their military service? Did you know that 21 NATO nations uh, have representatives here in Norfolk? 21 NATO nations, military literally from all over the world come here and people from all over the nation come here and they live among us and we have the chance as a church to minister to them, to win them to Christ, to, lead, uh, to disciple them, to train them for leadership so that they may be sent out to make a difference in the world for Christ. Just like here in Acts chapter 27. So what does that mean for our church? If you're military here and you're wondering why you're struggling and why you're going through a storm and military life and maybe deployment has been like a military storm, just know that God is working through the storm to accomplish His purpose through your life in the context of your military service. I was recently uh, on a plane trip, and I sat next to a guy that was uh, coming to Norfolk. He said, I haven't been on planes <laughs> uh, since, uh, uh, you know, 1975 or 80. He said, but I'm coming. I'm on this plane because my son called me. He's in the military. He said, I can't tell you what he does. But he said, he called me, and he said, Dad, I just got off deployment. He said, it was the worst deployment I've ever had. Would you come? And the dad said, son, I'll be there. That guy was going through a storm. But God is working in the storms. Open your eyes and see what God is doing. Luke doesn't tell us this in this text here, but we know the Apostle Paul, and you better be sure that he was sharing Christ. He was witnessing to those 275 people on that crew. And he was proclaiming the gospel. And I have to believe that some of those soldiers and some of those sailors on that ship came to faith in Christ. Luke doesn't tell us that, but I have to believe that. Like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 came to faith in Christ. Because God sent one of his apostles to preach to a military man and to a military family. When they landed on Malta, we don't have time to look into that story, but they landed there. They were there for three months, and a revival broke out, and God was using Paul to heal. Listen, all of those 100 soldiers saw the mighty acts of God. They thought they were on a deployment, but really they were on a mission trip. God has placed our church here, military believers, military chaplains, military community churches to share the gospel with the military. And First Baptist Norfolk, we have a tremendous stewardship in this area. No question about it. Here's the question. Will we be faithful? 
Will we be faithful to fulfill the stewardship that we have been given? Not by praying. We didn't have to pray about it. God planted us here 200 years ago, and we are here in this community, and we have the privilege to fulfill God's purpose among the military. Some of you are here today, maybe you're military. I tell you what, I've been here, um, this June will be 17 years, and I've seen many young men and women come to faith in Christ through our church. And you know what? I believe God sent them here in the military service primarily so that they may come to faith in Jesus. And their lives have been changed, and they went on to other places, and they did amazing things for Christ. Maybe you're here today, you've never responded to the gospel, you've never accepted Christ, you know the gospel, but you've never accepted Christ. Well, you're here if you're in the military, and God sent you here so that you could hear what I'm saying today. Just like God planted Luke, it was God's intention for Luke to be on this journey so that Luke would write this down so that it could be preached today, 2,000 years later, so that you in the military today could hear the gospel and be saved. Lastly, I would say this, that we as a church need to pray that we will be more effective and more fruitful in reaching the military of Hampton Roads. We need to pray for military that their eyes will be opened and through the storms of their life, they would find faith in Christ, which is the greater purpose for them. Church family, Will we be faithful to this calling? Vision and Valor Military Day is, is not a time primarily to thank military. We do thank you, by the way. It's not a time primarily for patriotism. We are patriotic and we love our nation. But it's a time, if you're a military Christian, for you to understand that God has you in the military for a higher purpose than just military service. And for us to understand as a church that we have been planted in a very strategic place. And one of the most strategic ways that we can answer that question of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. How can we most strategically advance the gospel in our Jerusalem and from our Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. One of the most strategic ways we do that is through ministry and evangelism and disciple making to those who serve in the United States military. And that is our calling as a church. I ask you to pray about that. I ask you to pray that our church would have a greater passion. That we would be on mission as a church and particularly as military believers as you serve among the forces of the Navy and all the other branches of the service. Will we fulfill this calling? Father, I pray today, I pray today that we would understand what you are doing among the military of today. And I thank you that you gave an example in Scripture of how you planted Christians, missionaries, among deployed troops to make sure that those deployed troops had an opportunity to hear the gospel. 
And Father, we know that your gospel has not changed and we know that your heart has not changed and we know that the calling that we have received has not changed one bit and I pray, Lord, that we will have a greater passion for this calling. Lord, open our eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into his fields. Lord, give us a greater vision for the world. Give us a greater vision for the lost. Particularly the lost, the military who are in these tremendous storms of life and need desperately the love of the gospel, the love and the care of your church. Break our hearts for them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, let us seek and save the lost military that come to Hampton Roads. Lord, let us do it for the glory of God. Let us do it for the fame of the gospel. Let us do it for their salvation. And Lord, let us do it for our great joy. Bless us as we leave here today, Father. Work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name.